As we draw into our intimacy with God, then we will naturally actually love others around us. And so God brought us into the family, not just to be selfish though, but actually the exact reverse, to act like Christ and to be selfless to think about ourselves less and less and to think about others more and more because this is what Jesus did to us when he drew us into the family in the first place. And then look at verse 12 again. He wants us to walk holy. Why? Well, it's not just for our own benefit, but it's also that we would be a witness for others. And so our justification, us being made right with God, and our sanctification, us becoming more like Christ, both of them have to deal with our relationship with God, but according to Peter, they also have to deal with our relationship with others. You tracking with that? And so we see Peter here doing a, a, a kind of a, a, a double a, a, a focus where it's a horizontal and a vertical focus at the same time. It's us and God and us and others. And so the gospel actually is a benefit to those around us. And we desire not just that we would know the goodness of Christ, but that other people would know the goodness of Christ. Friends, that the others will be saved and that they would exit out of darkness into marvelous light, that what we've been singing about and, and talking about in groups and, and hearing about through the word, that, that these things would not just be true of us, but that they would actually be true for other people too. So I actually love ending with this topic today because this uh, forces us to really not just kind of consume all things this weekend and then go out happy-go-lucky like all things are dandy, right? And we're excited. We're picking dandelions in the field and smelling the flowers and things feel awesome, right? Because that's how a lot of times fall getaways can feel. But actually, that we would then be transformed to actually bring the beauty of the gospel into others as well. That it wouldn't just stay inside of our hearts, but that we would be so in love with Jesus that we can't help but share him with others. However, the question has to be is, how do we go about sharing? Because a lot of us, I think, have a fear of sharing about who God is. We have this timidity that we feel in our hearts. And as we talk about the spring break trips, I know some people probably kind of shell up or clam up a little bit because let's just be real. Like, like that's a scary thing, right? I mean, somebody did share the gospel with you or invited you to church so that you can hear or whatever it may be, but it's hard to reciprocate that at sometimes because there's a lot of fear that has to, uh, is involved within that. And so when I say share, I want us to think about two things tonight, okay? It's one, helping those who do not know Christ actually come into the beauty of who Christ is, that they would experience Christ, they would know Christ, that we would share the gospel and they would be saved. But I also want us to think about sharing with those who do already know Christ and helping them draw deeper into their relationship with him. We usually call this evangelism and discipleship. But scripture actually kind of marries those two things together and calls them both discipleship. Like, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing. Who gets baptized? Generally, new believers, right? Usually, it's people who are just coming into the Lord, they get baptized. So you disciple baptizing. So discipleship starts first, and then they come to know the Lord, they are baptized, and then they grow in the Lord, and you teach them to observe all that he has commanded. And so we see that this sharing is twofold in this way, all right? But we have to ask, hey, how is it that we actually grow in our sharing? What does it look like to actually begin to share more? How do we overcome fear or how do we overcome selfishness? How do we take forth the gospel into other places? We'll flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In this little section, Paul is highlighting just the beauties of the gospel in a lot of ways. 
Beginning in verse 14, he says this. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this uh, is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so we are ambassadors. We are proclaiming the mysteries of God. We actually don't even see anybody according to the flesh anymore. What is Paul saying there? That when I look at you, I realize that you are not just a physical being that will one day pass away and die, but actually you are an eternal being that you will actually live forever, that yes, though this body may perish and fade away, that you will live forever. We no longer regard anyone as just merely human because we know there's so much more. In fact, we once regarded Christ as just a really good dude, but now we realize there was so much more, Paul says. He was not just a good teacher, but the Lord. We recognize that there was a spiritual being, but did you catch actually Paul's little hints into this? What actually makes us go forth with the ministry of reconciliation? What makes us be ambassadors? What makes us believe in the gospel? What makes us help others believe in the gospel? Well, he started off in verse 14. He says, for the love of Christ controls us, or, or some passages there say compels us. Are you catching that, friends? Do you see how all of what we actually have talked about this weekend actually kind of merges in together, even in this idea of evangelism, that without the love of Christ actually controlling us, then we are only doing evangelism based off of the law. But all of a sudden, when we recognize the love of Christ, when we see how beautiful Jesus is, then it begins to control us, and we can't help but talk about Jesus. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9 it says that his word burns like a fire in my bones. It's like a fire that I am weary with holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Jeremiah is saying, even if I try not to talk about the Lord and the glory of who he is, I can't help it. Like the fire of the Lord is so much within me that even if I try to shut my mouth, I have to talk about who he is. And this is the same thing here. The love of Christ, it controls us. And as we actually grow in our love for Christ, we actually grow in our desire to help others know the beauty of who he is. And so in irony, it starts with us knowing the Lord and, and praising the Lord and understanding the Lord. And then after that, we go out and we share because the love of Christ is actually controlling us. And we actually know this really naturally, that as we grow in awe at the gospel, as we grow in awe at who Christ is, we just share. The reason we know this naturally is because when somebody likes somebody, right, like they can't stop talking about them, right, because they are in awe of him. 
In fact, if you know what I'm talking about, you know that you'll be in relation or, or just conversation, like, man, I just got done studying for this chemistry test. Whew, it was hard. And then homegirl will be like, yeah, Tommy really likes to play basketball. And you're like, where'd that come from, right? She is in awe at Tommy, right? Tommy is like immutable to her right now. She literally can't get Tommy off of her mind. And so she is controlled to just talk about him in some way, shape, or form because she likes him. She wants to be around him. She wants to be with him. We evangelize the things that we love naturally. And if your name is Tommy in here, I'm really sorry. And if you're a girl that likes Tommy in here, then I'm really sorry, all right? <laughs> But we know this, right? Like, man, this is just a natural thing. And so this is uh, uh, helpful for us to think through, I think. Like, maybe you don't relate with the liking people, but think about, like, when a new restaurant opens up, right? And you eat it, and it's awesome. What do you do? You evangelize the restaurant, don't you? Like, that's all that is. You try to get others to realize how awesome it is. Like, Austin is a great, great, great city for food, okay? In fact, Austin, yeah, hook him, all right? Uh, in fact, okay, Austin was just ranked fourth in the nation for best city for restaurants. And so there are always all these new restaurants opening up in Austin, like left and right. There's too many to actually eat at all of them. But everyone you eat at, they're like extremely good. In fact, you'll eat at one, it'll be extremely good. And you're like, this is awesome. And then it'll close down because apparently it's not good enough. Right? And so all the time, like, in fact, Austin is just awesome in general. In fact, total, complete, utter side note, the sermon is over here. Like, y'all should really consider moving to Austin. The food is great. The music is awesome. The culture is great. We need Jesus down there. There's a really, really good church. The preaching is manageable, but the people are awesome. All right? And so y'all should move down. Grant didn't know this was part of my recruiting pitch. Sorry, brother. Got to get at least three out of here. All right? But, right? Man, all of a sudden, look at me, I'm evangelizing my city. I didn't mean to do that, for real, <laughs> right? Like, you can't help it. You evangelize the things that you love. Like, it's just natural within us. One of the things that Austin does really, really well is barbecue. There's all these different barbecue joints all over the place, right? There are some barbecues that actually take it to a whole other level, though. And so Franklin's Barbecue is one, Le Barbecue is one, and Black's Barbecue is one that people often rave and rant about, right? And what happens is, is people start evangelizing barbecue, and they'll say, have you had Black's ribs? Oh my gosh, you must not have had Franklin's brisket then. What? Right? And all of a sudden, they go back and forth, and they start evangelizing, well, these sides are better here, and this sauce is better here, and people just keep talking about it over and over again. The meat is just really good. And if you're a vegetarian, you can't relate with that analogy, you need to repent. <laughs> now here's the deal, all right? I'm not even gonna say just kidding there, just kidding. All right, but here's the deal though, okay? Like, you can't evangelize something that you haven't spent a lot of time around. And here's what I mean by that. I haven't been to La Barbecue in almost four years, okay? Now what I remember is I remember that it was really good but I couldn't even really tell you what I ordered. Like I'm assuming I ordered the ribs and the brisket because that's usually what I get when I try a new place. I don't remember what the sauce tasted like or if they even had it. Some places the meat's so good you don't need sauce and they're like offended if you ask for it, right? And so maybe they don't even have it. I sincerely don't remember. So I would be a really bad evangelist of Le Barbecue because I've never spent time around Le Barbecue. Well, the love of Christ controls us. And if we only get Christ once a year at Fall Getaway, how do we share that love with others? 
Now, I'm not trying to be harsh in that comment, but just truthful, right? Like, we have to dive deeply into the love of Christ. This has to be our life mission, is to be controlled by that love, to consume that love every single day to where we know every which flavor and we can evangelize as if we've consumed him every day because we are right? We have to spend time around that. And so we have to think about Christ. And this is why we have to make sure that our hearts are smitten with him, that the gospel is always on our lips and on our mind. And we see it in the word and we are praying and asking God to do this. And when we feel our hearts start going wayward and we chase idols, we confess that sin to others and we repent and we come back to the gospel. Because when we do that, we naturally start sharing with others. You can't help but go tell the whole city about this man that you love. Now, I want to do this. I want to kind of focus on one more text today, and we're going to end staring at this. And the reason I wanted to do this is because y'all actually went through this text last fall if you were uh, in uh, H2O then. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And on Matthew chapter 3, Jesus gives us this great uh, parable and really an analogy of what it looks like to share the gospel. So Matthew chapter 3 verse, or sorry, chapter 5 verse 13 is where we'll be. But I want to set us up real quick as we're going there. Jesus starts off that Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. And as you go through the Beatitudes, what you realize that he's saying is, the person who actually lives in the light is a person who is humble, is a person who has confessed, is a person who has laid down their lives, is a person who is meek. And what is that? Well, that is the Christian. Those who have been rocked by the gospel has kind of floored us in a way, and we are humble, yet we are sons and daughters of peace, that we are people of the gospel. And then Jesus moves into evangelism. So just like Paul and the author of Hebrews and Peter that we read earlier, so Jesus too carries forth the same model. Believe in the gospel. Now let me show you how you live in light of the gospel. And that's all throughout the scriptures, right? So in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, it says this. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven." So Jesus wants us to live out the gospel both in words and deeds to the world around us. That's what that verse is highlighting there. Jesus wants us to live out the gospel both in words and deeds to the world around us. Notice a couple of things within what he's saying. Salt, you mainly do what with? Then the trick question, all right. What do you do with salt mainly? Taste, you put it on food, right? So you put things on food, it, it brings flavor to it, so you mainly taste salt. And light, what do you mainly do? See with it, right? And so Jesus is actually invoking two different senses here, and I think he's doing that very purposefully. One of them, you have to be up close and personal, actually inside the person to be able to experience, right? Like I guess you can kind of feel salt, but what does that do? It doesn't do a whole lot for you, right? You can maybe smell salt, right? Like when you go out to the sea, you can smell the salt water. But really, salt is best experienced when it's actually consumed by the person. And so one way that we are actually the salt of the world is we have to be up close and personal to the people around us. Don't miss that, okay? 
We can't just be at a distance or we can't just say, hey, do you want to believe in the gospel? No. Okay, see you later, brother. Right? But we have to be up close and personal to build these relationships, to create some longevity that would actually bring forth the beauty of the gospel in people's lives. Because salt doesn't do a whole lot unless it's consumed. Like if I had three like white substances up here right now, you wouldn't be able to tell what it was until you got really close and maybe even until you tasted it. I know some of y'all just thought about like a negative white substance too, like cocaine or something, all right? I was thinking like salt and sugar and flour or something, all right? So if that was where your mind was, I don't even have a good joke for that. Anyway, so let's keep going. All right, so salt you taste, but light you see, right? And you can actually see it from a far, far way away. So Christians, Christ expects us to be both up close and personal and noticeable to people from a far away difference, distance. More specifically to this culture though, light had a generally positive aspect and salt actually had a generally negative aspect. So light was a good thing, but salt was kind of a bad thing. So they did put salt on their food to taste, but they also used it as a preservative to stop things from going bad. While light obviously does what light does today, which is illuminate things around us. So let's focus on salt for a second and think about how the culture would have heard it then. Strictly speaking, okay, salt can actually not lose its saltiness. Like salt can never not become anything else but salt. And so Jesus knows this. He's not giving us a false analogy here, but I say that very purposely because I think that the Christian cannot lose their salvation, that as you believe in the beauty of Christ, he has sealed you. Your sin is not stronger than his grace, all right? And so he seals you, so he's not talking about you running away from the Lord. However, salt can become so diluted or it can become mixed in with other substances. And in fact, if salt is mixed in with the wrong substance, it actually becomes dangerous. And we know Christians like that. We kind of want them to stay away from our friends because we feel like they're kind of dangerous even. They're not very salty people, but rather they actually kind of poison things around them. Now, I wasn't a biology uh, student by any means. In fact, my school district was terrible. In fact, I never took science from freshman year on because I'm in Detroit public school systems, all right? Woohoo! all right? But what I do know is that you can look this up and see, man, salt can actually have some really negative implications. And so Christ doesn't want us to become so diluted with the world or to be so negative that we end up hurting those around us. Christians are different, and they must be if they're actually going to be effective. And so Jesus is showing us what? Don't assimilate into the world. You have to be different. When they taste you, they have to realize that there's something different going on. Remember that Peter verse that we just read too? Keep your conduct pure amongst the Gentiles that they may see that you're different. That they may recognize there's something going on there that they would want Jesus because of how you act. And so you have to recognize that, that, that unless we are purposeful in Christ, we can become so diluted that our lives are essentially worthless. That's not what Christ would have for us. Christ has a meaningful life, a life on mission, a life that everything that we do can actually change the, the eternity, that it can change people's souls for eternity, not become worthless. But for effectiveness, the Christian must retain its distinction, its Christ-likeness. We see the same metaphor with light. If it's completely hidden, then what use is it? If the world is kind of stumbling around in darkness and you're like, ah, but I don't really want to like shine my light on that, then what are you doing but being worthless to them? It doesn't help at all. John Stott, who was a, a kind of a 20th century theologian, he says this, 
The influence of Christians in and on society depends on their being distinct, not identical. Okay, do you hear that? Distinct, not identical, and this is true. We're not to be like a village nestled in, unable to be seen by anybody except for the villagers around, but Jesus said you're to be a city on a hill that all people can see, that all over the place people can recognize and actually they're drawn toward that light because they recognize that something powerful is happening there. When we were at the Colorado LTs, my uh, now wife, at the time we were just not even really dating yet, but she used uh, her college pastor's car and drove us up on top of this huge mountain and we can see like the lights way off in a distance. And I think she drove us up there because she was just trying to make out with me or something like that. Or maybe it was the reverse actually, right? But all of a sudden I'm up there and I realize this analogy, right? Like, like you could see this and actually it was about like 27 miles away. Like man, this city is on this hill and me being way far away from it, I can see it. And if I'm actually in utter darkness and that's the only thing that I see, then guess what I'm gonna be drawn to? The city. If people that don't know Jesus are actually in darkness, they're looking for idols, all the things we've been talking about, our identity, the, the lostness which we feel, the way that we crave to be praised, but they recognize there's something different, would they not naturally be drawn? Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, flight into the invisible is a denial of the call. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. Like if we seek to hide ourselves and not be different, then we're not really following Christ because we're not doing what he commanded us to do, right? We look different. So I have four quick points I want to take away. And don't worry, they're, gen they're genuinely quick points, all right? So don't hear like four like Southern Baptist points. I'm not going to be up here for another hour, all right? Um, firstly, you have to be okay with the fundamental difference between Christians and the world. You have to be okay with that difference. So often in our Christian culture, we try to blend everything in like we're the same. We're not the same, friends. Jesus has done something. Jesus is actually transforming us. He's brought us out of darkness into marvelous light. We are now a people, a nation. We no longer chase after idols. There's something different about us. The Holy Spirit of God has entered into us and he is changing us from the inside out. There's something distinct about the Christian. As a believer, you now look different and you should see things differently too. Friends, you serve neither God nor yourselves nor the world around you when you become so diluted that we can't tell the difference between you and somebody who doesn't know Jesus. I know that's hard because that means we have to be uncomfortable at times. But Jesus said this world will be uncomfortable. Remember, you're strangers, aliens, foreigners. When you're a stranger, alien, foreigner, and you don't really know the language, and you don't know the culture, and you can't understand the food, it's hard, isn't it? But that's what we are, because now God is making us different, and God has made you salt and light. And listen, friends, God knows how to make things really, really well. He knows what he's doing. He's made you different for a reason, and that's because he so loves the world that he wants the whole world to come to him. It's not for us to be isolated, but it's actually for us to be, remember, a city on a hill, that people will be drawn to the difference. And so there's a, a beautiful difference here, not a conceited or a selfish difference. We're different for the sake of others. Don't minimize the difference, even if that causes pushback, right? Now, I'm not saying go be like a jerkwad, okay? That's definitely the whitest word I've ever said while I'm preaching, all right? 
Like, don't go be like a, a guy who just nobody really likes to be around. That's not what I'm saying, okay? But you are different, and you can't be afraid of that. Secondly, you have to accept the responsibility that this actually puts on you. You can't hide or become diluted or become unsalty, which isn't even a word, but we'll use it for today. But John Stott says this, you are light, and so you must let your light shine and not conceal it in any way, whether by sin or compromise, by laziness or fear. And so you see the two truths in this text, right? We are different, it says you in the world, and Christ draws that analogy, but you also have to accept the responsibility. He says, don't hide or don't dilute. And so Jesus shows, man, we're different than the world around us, but we have to accept that responsibility and actually walk into that. And this is what the text is commanding us. And so if this is true, then thirdly, friends, you have to love the world for the sake of the gospel. You have got to love the world for the sake of the gospel. Friends, at one point in my life, I did not know Jesus. And I am telling you, and I mean this with all sincerity, knowing what I know about him now, I would have wanted you to say anything that would pique my interest in Christ. In fact, I would have almost wanted you to say something that was utterly absurd, that made me mad at you, but at least made me start thinking about God. Because knowing what I know now, I, I wouldn't trade this for anything. In fact, I would trade everything to have Jesus. You have to love the world for the sake of the gospel because somebody loved you for the sake of the gospel. You were probably the, 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 the person that was a little bit close to untouchable, right? Or, or the annoying teenager. Or maybe your parents praised the Lord if you grew up in a Christian household and from three and four they were sharing the gospel with you. But man, that was sacrificed there too, right? I remember very distinctly I was walking in the mall one day because that's what high schoolers do, right? So I'm walking in the mall, I have my varsity jacket on, and uh, I thought I was so cool because I played all these sports, I had all these pins on, and I was actually trying to become the most lettered athlete in Michigan history, and I'm like, I'm gonna get this, okay? And so I just thought I was so awesome. So I'm walking in with my coat on, and I'm walking through, we were black and orange, kind of like the Bengals, and it was a fresh coat, all right? And so I'm walking through, and this woman comes up and says, oh, hey, like, do you play any sports? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> right? She's like, oh, cool, what's your favorite one? I said, oh, oh football. And she was like, oh, that's awesome. Um, if you died tonight, like, or maybe on the game next, next, next week, you get hit in the head and, you know, your neck breaks and you die, like, where would you spend eternity? And I was like, the heck, <laughs> right? What kind of question is that? And I was with my friends and they were kind of looking like, how's he gonna respond? And remember, I'm a person that longs for people's acceptance, so I blazed that woman, right? I called her all sorts of names and made fun of her and laughed and, and did stupid things. You know, we went to the movies and I was like, stupid woman. And then I got home that night and I shed off my false identity that I couldn't actually carry with me. And I took off and got into my PJs and laid in bed. And now I'm naked by myself with nothing to hide. And that word came back into my head. What would happen to me? I'm like, man, I don't know. And I don't even think that's good evangelism, friends. But it was something, right? Like, it got me thinking about something, and I began to actually wonder, like, what if Jesus is real? Like, what if actually God does exist? What would happen to me if I rejected him? Like, what does it mean to actually be a Christian? 
Now that was the first of many conversations, but listen, she was willing to go out and even if it wasn't the best form or method, God did something with that. You have to love the world for the sake of the gospel because the gospel is the only hope for the world. It is the only hope for our souls. It's the only thing that overcomes all our false identities. It's the way that we grow in our love for Christ and it is the salvation for the world, friends. The gospel saves, it sanctifies, and it glorifies. And if that's true, then who would we not want to go through that process? In fact, isn't the Son of God worthy of the blood that was slain that all men and women may hear about him? Didn't he suffer enough that the whole world would know the beauty of Christ? And we have to share that with others. Helmut Thylicki, which can we just admit that is an awful name. All right, his name is Helmut Thylicki. Like, he should be really upset with his parents, okay? If your name is Helmut Thylicki in here, then you should be mad at your parents too, all right? But he says this, salt and light have one thing in common. They give and expend themselves, and thus are the opposite of any and every kind of self-centered religiosity. See, here's what's true about every other religion. It says, do enough good things, be a good enough person, and then God will be pleased with you. But Christianity says you can't do enough things, and so God came and did everything for you, and you need only believe. But now when you believe, give yourself away for the sake of others. Don't just build yourself up, but lay yourself down. In fact, any power that you were given, any authority that you were given, any beauty that you were given, any intellect that you were given, that is actually for you to use to elevate others below you or then bring them up above you because this is what Christ has done, and this is what separates in a lot of ways, that we are a people that actually give ourselves for the sake of others. And so salt stops decay and light illuminates, we say. Jesus calls his followers then to have a double influence on society, stopping its decay and bringing light into darkness. Christianity is not a selfish religion, it's a selfless religion. And unfortunately, sometimes when society goes bad, what we tend to do is throw up our hands and go, oh, I hate this world, right? Like, like one can't get mad at unsalted meat for going spoiled. But that's what we do to the world. Friends, Christ has made you salt, that you would actually stop the decay of earth that you would literally begin to usher in the kingdom, that you would make things around you better, that you would be a people that leave everything around you better than where you left it because you are salt stopping its decay. And you are also light illuminating into darkness that others may exit darkness into marvelous light, as Peter said. And so this is the question that we have to, have to ask is, are we being salt and are we being light? We have to recognize that, that this is what God's responsibility is to us, that if we believe in Jesus, he has now prepared us for good works. We are now his workmanship, and we are supposed to be displaying the love of Christ. And so we serve the world. We make it a better place. Because, friends, let's just be honest in here. Like, if heaven and hell are really real, like, if that's true, friends, which we don't like to think about the, the seriousness of even both of them, but if they are truly real, friends, isn't that what you are called to do? Is to be the gospel to others. Like, man, right? Man, 
Like God has given you an unbelievable gift. He didn't just call you and then zap you out into heaven. That would have been more awesomer for us, straight up, right? But he actually left you here on earth. Why? That you may live your life for the sake of others and build them up that they would see the beauty of Christ too. One of the things that I often find, particularly with college students, is that what happens is, is that we get on fire for Jesus and our goal is to be like the most on fire person that's ever existed. And friends, that's an awesome thing. But let me give you a far better goal. What if you were so on fire that you actually lit up everybody else around you and you actually elevated them to where when you died, you had 100 people that were way more on fire than even you were, that you giving your life away for the sake of others. And this is what God calls us to, that we would lay down our lives and elevate other people up around us. And friends, the fourth point here is that, once again, isn't Jesus our perfect example of this? Isn't he our perfect example and also our atonement for when we mess up? Flip over to the book of John real quick. I'm going to read several little passages here. But in John, starting in uh, chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says this. That fan just blew my page, sorry. John 12, or John 8, verse 12. It says, again, Jesus spoke with them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jump over to John chapter 9, verse 5. He says this again, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jump over to John chapter 12, verse 46. Jesus says this once again. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And over and over and over again, we actually see Jesus referring to himself as the light of the world. Now in Matthew chapter 5, he refers to us as the light of the world, but we see clearly that Jesus is the true light of the world, right? And so what happens here? We have to, to recognize this, that Jesus, the same God who said four simple words, let there be light, and light exploded into the world around us. And all of a sudden it illuminated all darkness that this same God who held that very power in his tongue, that this light actually died in utter darkness. Like think about the gospel stories if you know them well. Jesus is hanging on the cross and all of a sudden it goes pitch black and the light of the world gets snuffed out at that moment. And John, it says that people couldn't see, it was like the middle of the night, but it was actually noon. And people were scared and graves were opening and it's like, what is happening? It was like all of the human existence, all of the world's created order was crumbling around them. Well, the light of the world was being snuffed out and became darkness. Why? So that you who are actually people who dwell in darkness may now have the light of Christ inside of you. Christ who is light eternal became dark so that you who should have dwelled in eternal darkness may now have eternal light. That's why you are the light of the world, because Jesus took this light and he laid it down that you may have light dwelling inside of you. Friends, you are no longer blind. When you are walking around in the dark, you know you're trying to feel your way. If it's like pitch black, isn't that the worst feeling in the world? Like you feel like your face is assuredly going to run into a two by four, right? Or you stub your toe, or if you're like me, you step on a Lego and you cuss out your kid in your head, right? It's dark. Well, this doesn't happen anymore for the Christian. You are light. That's because Christ suffered that for you. Christ went into darkness that you may now have light. But friends, Christ tells us this light is not just for us. It's actually for the world around us. And so even here, 
when we hear the beauty of the gospel, does it not compel our hearts to desire to at least worship Christ? And as we worship Christ, we should desire to spread that glory out to others, that we wouldn't keep what we have attained, but rather we would be salt and light, a people that are giving themselves away, just as Christ, who was the saltiest being that ever existed, served everyone around him, stopped the decay of everything around him. He lay in a grave decaying so that we who should decay may now never have to experience that. Friends, Christ is our example for us to follow and our substitute when we fail. And so when we go out and we don't share like we're supposed to or we're still wrestling with identity or we're still wrestling with sin and we're not believing in the gospel, friends, Christ is our atonement. And as we believe in him and cast ourselves back at the cross, he forgives. Don't let this be dull on your heart, friends. Because if it is, then slowly but surely that light will fade, that salt will become diluted, and it will be as if you're not even really salt at all. By no means will you no longer be salt, but, but that salt will almost cease to exist. And that's a serious weight of the Christian, that we would continually come back to the foot of the cross over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, friends. Cast yourself before the blood of Jesus. Fall in love with him. Let that love control you and compel you. Let it help you exit out of darkness into marvelous light and lay aside the sin that clings to you and then help display the love of Christ to others around you. Friends, it's been really good being here with you guys this weekend. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that we would be a healthy family. God, that we would be a people who would actually take what we have gained here and not just hold it in, but actually give that out for the sake of others. God, I pray that you would help us be able to marvel in the beauties of the gospel and the wonders of who you are. God, I thank you for the testimony that I've been hearing that I know people have been discussing that you are in some ways doing a work in our hardened hearts, God. God, I confess my heart is hard and it's wayward and it's prone to wander. I feel it, God. I feel it. God, keep me steadfast in you, Jesus. Keep these men and women steadfast in you. Let what you were doing this weekend not fall off the wayside, but seal up the holes in their heart where the water would want to drain out and keep it in, God. God, I pray that they would love you, that they would know you, that they would desire your love, that they would seek after your affection, that they would recognize they are sons of you, the living God. They are your bride, Jesus, that they would give themselves to you. God, help your name to be blessed. God, I pray that then after that love that we would not be a selfish people, that we wouldn't be firefighters playing firefighter games and driving firefighter trucks and never actually going and fighting fires. God, let us go out into the world and push back darkness, God, and, and push back the kingdom of Satan and bring forth your kingdom, Jesus. For you are worthy, God. You are worthy. You are worthy. Jesus, we love you. I love you so much, Christ. Thank you, God. God, as we move into this 
in the time of worship, I pray that we would lay our hearts down before you, God. And that if the words are plain and we don't believe them, then let them be prayers of our hearts, Christ, out to you. God, help us to believe the words that we sing, that we would be men and women that run forth with the gospel with all ferocity, Jesus, that you would be our God and we would be your people. 